1: Rivers should run dry, should sun.
2: The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James, the fourth chapter. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. This passage so completely sums up the practical outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Some of you say, I'm not going to submit to anybody. And you're in trouble. Some of you are going to fight and argue with your wife or your husband. Could I say one thing about that? Please, today... Would you accept your wife just as she is and stop trying to change her? Stop trying to discipline her. Understand that she's your wife. And for today, would you simply enjoy her for who she is? And wives, could I say something to you? Would you today just enjoy your husband as he is? don't try to change him. He is who he is. If you want your husband to change, get in the prayer closet and stay there until God answers you. What is it that causes fights and quarrels between husbands and wives? Doesn't that come from the desires in your heart that battle within you? You want something and you're not getting it and you're upset. So you quarrel and you fight. But you don't ask God. Now, he refers to people who do this as adulterous people. He's speaking to his church, the New Jerusalem church, the Apostolic Church. And he's saying to them, You are adulterous. You are an adulterous people because friendship with the world is hatred toward God. How do you know if you have friendship with the world and hatred toward God? By the fights and quarrels that you engage in? By the bitterness of your heart? By your refusal to submit to anybody for any reason? Because you're determined you're going to have what you want? Now, Jesus spoke about this. In Mark, the ninth chapter, the disciples are not walking with Jesus. They're walking behind him. He's leading the way. They have just seen an astonishing miracle. And then Jesus begins to talk to them a second time about the fact that he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men, that he's going to die, that they're going to murder him. But that after three days, he will rise from the grave. They are totally unable to understand what he is saying to them. They cannot comprehend his words. It is hidden from them. Then we come to verse 33. This is John 9. I'm sorry, Mark 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. He was in the house, probably Peter's house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they wouldn't talk. Because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Isn't that the source of every quarrel and every argument? Isn't that the very heart Of why we grow so angry and so defensive. I am longing to see husbands and wives who no longer quarrel and fight with each other, who submit one to another out of the love of Jesus. You see, you cannot understand the deep things of God and argue about who is the greatest. When you begin to fight and quarrel, the Holy Spirit leaves. And he's the one who must inform us and give us the truth about Jesus Christ. So Jesus, knowing how important this issue is, does not scold them for arguing. Instead, he calls the twelve to him. If anyone wants to be first, he says... He must be last and the servant of all. If you want to know the deep things of God, then you must take up a servant position. And he takes a little child that is there. I don't know who the child was, but he has this little child come to him And he takes this little boy in his arms and he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but also the one who sent me. So he's saying, look, if you want to be the greatest be like a child. Now, what was a child like in that day? Children in that day were not the center of the family. They did not have child-centered families. They instead had the children work on the farm or work in the olive grove. They were servants. They were to be heard they were not they were to be seen, not heard. they were to behave themselves now teacher said, John, teacher said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us." Well, who was he? We don't know. But certainly he was someone who had heard about Jesus and may have even been one of the 70 who had been sent out by Jesus to heal the sick, to raise the dead. We don't know who he was, but he had confidence in Jesus. And by that faith in Jesus Christ, he healed the sick. And Jesus said, Don't stop him. Now, what's John really saying? He's saying, look, we're on the inside. We're important. We're we're first in line in this new kingdom that's going to be set up. Jesus is saying, no, stop. Don't stop this man. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say something bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Do you see how wide Jesus opens the door? He first brings a child. He's concerned about children. I tell you today, I am very concerned about babies, children, in the mom's womb. The greatest curse in America today is Planned Parenthood. The greatest eugenics, curse in America is planned parenthood. It's not planned parenthood. It's planned eugenics. It's planned murder. They are killers. They are murderers. I'm very concerned about that. I've been doing some research. I, I can't even say over this radio what Planned Parenthood is doing and the horrific details that are now coming out. But they're keeping babies that are not killed in the abortion, they're they're keeping them alive and harvesting their organs from a live baby. This is so ugly, so evil. It has to be excised from our land or the incredible judgments of God will flow in this in this nation and I I looked at a list of companies that support planned parenthood Verizon I have my phone with they support planned parenthood insurance companies all kinds of companies give huge amounts of money Clorox gives money to planned parenthood Aetna Insurance gives money to Planned Parenthood. Target. Other companies give large dollars to Planned Parenthood for the murder of babies. If there was ever a demonic thing that has invaded our land, it is the killing of our children. we're very concerned about animal cruelty. How about being concerned about child cruelty? Doesn't that seem upside down to be concerned about animals but not concerned about babies? It seems so horrendous I don't know how to even talk about it. John is saying, look, we're somebody. We're the only ones who can do miracles. Everybody else, stop. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. And then, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus is saying, look, you're not special. I didn't come because you're special. Could I put it the way David Pawson put it? This evangelist, this not evangelist, teacher from Australia, New Zealand. He says, God came as a salvage operation, a salvation operation. But today we would say it was a recycling operation. It's taking that which is lost, that is no longer of any value, and recycling it. Jesus wants to come today and recycle your life. He wants to take the garbage of your wickedness. He wants to forgive you for that. And he wants to transform you into his likeness where Jesus dwells fully in you. And this doesn't happen with pride and arrogance and fighting and bickering, arguing. He says. If your hand causes you to sin,
0: cut it off.
2: It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell. In other words, you have a part in this recycling process. My question, can the children be saved? And he's now likening every Christian to a child who is not important but who is so loved that he will give his life he will give his life to be able to recycle you and to take the trash of your life and transform it into something useful for his kingdom if your foot causes you to sin Verse 45, this is Mark 9, verse 45. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. One man I knew developed bone cancer in the lower part of his leg. And the doctors finally said to him, You have only really two choices we're going to have to take that leg off just above the knee or you're going to die. And in order that he could save the trunk of his body, in order for him to be able to save his life that he could live for a while longer, he submitted and had his leg cut off. Jesus is saying, look, You need to look at your life and do whatever is necessary in order to save it, to salvage it, to recycle it. And Jesus is willing to save, recycle, or salvage your life. But you have to be willing to cut off those things that are of sin. The only way Jesus can begin the process of recycling your life is if you repent of your sin and by the power of his blood, at the conviction of the Holy Spirit, cut that thing off. But many of you want to continue. You don't want your life totally recycled. You just want a little recycling a little salvage, a little saving. Just a little. And you want to be able to continue to feast on everything of the world, not understanding that there's a hell to face. These are not my words. Verse 47, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is saying, look, there is a hell. The word here means a valley that is out the dung gate of Jerusalem and it's a deep valley and it's the place where all the trash is thrown all the excrement is sent and when you look down into it it's deep the sun never sees the bottom but it's burning Gehenna it's hell it's the trash heap Now, please hear me. I don't mean to be hard on you. But please, please, please hear my words to you. In the the end, in the day of judgment, if you have not been totally recycled, if you have not been totally redeemed, if you're still walking in sin and wickedness before God, You're going to be thrown out with the trash. You're going to be thrown where the fire burns perpetually. And all will be lost. Now, there is something worthwhile in every person, there is something of value in every person. But that person must be transformed by the power of God and made into something useful for the Father, not useful for the devil. Some of you today know that I speak the truth when I say to you, you are only useful for the devil because you love the world and the things of the world. Verse 49 says, everyone will be salted with fire. In other words, fire will test every man. And those who have been unwilling to let God do his sanctifying, fully sanctifying work in their hearts, they will be cast out. Those who have continually gone back to their sins, they will be finally thrown in the trash. They will not enter the kingdom of God. They will not enter heaven. Jesus says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? In other words, if you have been converted, you were born again, but you have lost your saltiness. If you've gone back to being of no value to God and you are now a servant of Satan with rage and bitterness, harshness of life and word, you're of no value to God. Are you valuable today? Are you valuable to Jesus? because you have allowed him to recycle your life and you're no longer walking in league, in arm and arm with Satan. You hate the things of darkness. You hate the activities of darkness. You don't want to even let your clothing be stained by the clubs, by the wickedness of the entertainment. Of bitterness, of refusal to submit, of pride, anger. Jesus is being very straight with his disciples. These are disciples of Jesus, and he's saying to them, Don't lose your saltiness, guys, or you will be cast into the fire of hell. You'll be thrown into the trash. He says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. The worst fights I've seen in my life have been in Christian schools and in churches. I've seen churches divide half on one side and half on the other, and they begin to sit down on the worship service with I'm going to sit on the left. Another says, I'm going to sit on the right because I don't want to sit with them. And the whole church is divided over some issue. And they're of no value to God. I've seen pastors treated in such wicked ways. I've seen pastors sit with their boards, their vestries, And weep because of the ugliness, the refusal to be Christian brothers and sisters, the refusal to submit. I've seen bishops treat churches and pastors and others with untold cruelty because they're right, they're the greatest. ugly. Now Jesus leaves that place. And he walks with his disciples. Back to Judea. Crowds come to him. And as was his custom. He begins to teach them. And I'm not going to go into this in depth. But one of us. Pharisees asks the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answers that question, but not a complete answer. But part of his answer is the two will become one flesh. Husbands and wives, I want you to hear this today. If you're married, you are one flesh with your mate. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now they're in the house again. And the question comes from the disciples. What does this mean? And Jesus again says except in the case of adultery, unfaithfulness, a break coming between husband and wife, and the full Jewish law regarding this is very clear that a husband is to provide for his wife, he is not to withhold himself sexually from his wife. It's very clear Jesus stands for marriage. Now, people begin to bring little children to Jesus, to have him touch them, to have him bless them. And, you know, as I read through this passage that was the next part of our message, as I worked my way through the book of Mark, it seemed at first confusing. I'm saying, why did Mark order this in this way? But then I began to see Jesus is saying, except you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Saying, don't fight for position. Be a humble servant of all. Don't be blown up and think you're the greatest. And then he comes back and he keeps dealing with children. Can I say something to you? Jesus loves children. Jesus loves children. And he wants us to be like a little child with no sense of self-importance. He said, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Well, here we go again. Now, if you read the book of Mark, any of the Gospels, you'll find that there is a reoccurring problem among the disciples, and that is the pride that they are a part of what Jesus is doing, the lifting up of themselves with pride, the thinking of themselves as being important. Jesus saw them rebuking the mothers, and he was indignant. Please, he was angry. He said, what are you doing? What are you thinking? He said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. He put his hands on them. And he blessed them. The blessing of God comes in our lives when we give up the fight and we're willing to humble our hearts before God. We should not commit idolatry with our children. We should not fawn over them. We should train them up to be godly, to be holy. Don't entertain your children. Don't put videos in front of your children get rid of the video games for your children you say oh I can't do that because when my child is watching television and my child is playing the video game then I have some free time what what selfishness on your part that's not what Jesus calls for can I be really old fashioned When I was a little boy, you know what my favorite toys were? One was a little green Jeep. I loved that Jeep. It had burly tires on it. It was shiny. It was beautiful. I played with it, carried it everywhere with me. It was a metal Jeep. I wish I still had it. I'd still play with it because I'm still a child at heart. But what I played with most often were pots and pans. When I was a little boy, my mother, my father would be in the kitchen cooking. They'd be doing something that they needed to do. And I'd say, Daddy, I'm so bored. And he'd say, that's wonderful, Raymond. I'm glad you're bored. What, Daddy? Why are you glad I'm bored? I can't stand it. And he would say, Boredom is the mother of invention. So pretty soon I'd have a fort build out of pots and pans in the middle of the floor. And I loved it when they all went tumbling down, the crash and the bang. And I'd start a new fort. I'd build up a fort. I'd, I'd bring out a blanket and put over the four corners of my pots and pans. And I'd crawl in underneath what was I doing? What were my parents doing? They were teaching me to be creative. We have a little guy who, whose mom and he come and visit us. In the cupboard, we have paper cups, red ones, white ones. You know what little Kai loves to do? He loves to pull out these cups. And make all kinds of things with those cups, stacking them up. And when they fall down, he laughs with great zeal. It's fun to watch him. We're losing our creativity today because children sit and drink in every kind of wickedness, play every kind of wicked game. watch ungodly things. It pours into them and then we wonder why our children act the way they do. Why are they so hyper when we have hyped them up on sugar treats while they watch their videos? We've totally missed it. That's not teaching a child to grow up in righteousness. That's teaching a child the way of the world. So, Jesus is about children. Children who grow up to be adults. But even then, they are still to be humble-hearted, submissive, not terrorizing, arguing, fighting, I talk to couples who are so so bitter and so angry with each other. He did this. She did that. There's no peace. Unwilling to submit to each other. Unwilling to, to say, hey, could we just love each other? There's a chapter in the Bible. I want to share it with you today. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Now I'll show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if you claim you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, don't be blown up. Don't be big in your own eyes. Be extremely humble. Don't flaunt your gift. Don't think it makes you somebody. It is a gift of God to you. A gift of languages. Paul goes on. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and and all knowledge, if I'm really smart, don't get blown up about that. If I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. Big fat zero. Paul really puts it to us. He's identifying those things that in the Christian church have caused so much division and so much hurt as people have become puffed up. Jesus is saying, except you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he begins to describe what what love is, what agape, what self-sacrificing love is all about. He says, love is patient literally love is willing to take time love doesn't say to a husband look you have to change I'm not going to be with you if you're like this no love is patient or a husband doesn't say to a wife I'm so tired of you doing this look would you just get it straight Would you behave yourself? That's not love. That's wickedness. Love is patient. Love is kind. Part of what I've had to learn in marriage is that when I think I'm being kind, my wife may think I'm being unkind. Kindness is not determined by me. Kindness is determined by the person I'm dealing with. And if the way I'm speaking or if what I'm doing seems unkind to them, it doesn't matter how I claim to be kind. It does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is a big one. Do you have a checklist of how you've been treated and you're angry about it and because of that you have closed your heart and shut yourself away wow it's so easy when in a marriage one partner says to the other something that seems utterly unfair judgmental harsh it's so hard to not respond in kind and cut that other person off because you've been so hurt it's not easy to deal with a rude person it's not easy to deal with someone who is always angry with you. It's not easy to deal with someone who has a checklist of all the wrongs you've committed. I had a worship leader come to me many years ago. And she brought her notebook. And she had page after page of offenses against me. Things that I'd said or things that I'd done. I'll give you an example. In a sermon, I said, there is no good thing in me. There is no righteousness in me. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. She became very angry about that because she considered herself very righteous. And she thought I was addressing her and telling her that she was wicked Well, it would have been very helpful to me at that point if we'd been able to have a serious discussion about that issue because as time went on and I matured and grew, I came to understand that I am made righteous by Jesus. So all of the righteousness of Jesus can abide in me. He lives in me and he makes me righteous. So when I say I have no righteousness, I'm wrong like Paul in Romans 7 where he says nothing good dwells in me that is except Jesus but if I don't make that clarification if Paul had said there's nothing good in me it's all all wrong he would have been denying the work of the blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life when I couldn't get anywhere with this, dear, when I said, look, obviously you don't want to reconcile with me. You want simply to accuse me, so I'm suggesting you go to another church. I've never seen her again. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled; Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face now i know in part then i shall be known fully even as i am fully known and now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love he's saying these three will never pass away There may come a time, and it has come in our culture, in our day, because of our resistance to the Holy Spirit, he has withdrawn his wonderful gifts of healing in most cases. In America, demons are not normally cast out. Go overseas and there are places where demons are constantly being dealt with. But in America, not so much. But even in America, where the Holy Spirit has largely withdrawn from the church, Paul is saying faith, hope, and love need to continue forever. They will not fail if we will live in faith, hope, and love with one another. If we will not condemn one another, but love one another, he says that's the greatest thing you can do. i hope you hear today jesus is calling us to save the children he's calling us to bring the children to jesus and let him bless them jesus wants to bless you today he doesn't want you to reject the work of the spirit in your life and end up being cast into the trash heap. He wants you to come through in powerful victory in Jesus Christ. So today, if you know you're at odds with somebody, would you go make peace with them? If in your pride you have cut them off, separated yourself, would you make peace? Faith? Hope and love. These three are the greatest. Almighty God, would you be the recycler today? Would you come and step between husbands and wives? Would you come and step between people at work and stand between us and them? Would you be the reconciler and the peacemaker? and the lover of our souls. Jesus, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Would you write to me? Would you participate in helping to cover the cost of this broadcast? Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can go to Facebook or Twitter. We're there. You can give by online by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. My brother, my sister, I love you. I pray this message will encourage your heart to be
0: a lover. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.